the gospel is bigger and better than you ever thought it was. It's so much bigger. I don't know if you've ever had the, the privilege of traveling internationally, of traveling outside of the United States, where you call home, if that's where you call home, and, and going. And I remember many years ago having that opportunity, and, and I remember in honesty, I sat on the plane, and the door was closed, and I was fearful. I was like, God, I've never been outside of the United States. I'm going to China. Like, like that's pretty far. And we're going to travel on a plane a long time. Uh, and like, I remember my daughter saying, would you take a picture of a pigeon? Do they have birds in China? And I was like, well, I'm pretty sure they do. I've never been there, but it, I'll take a picture of a bird for you. And in traveling there, and here's what I learned then and many other times is I'm reminded of my appropriate smallness when you get to travel the world and you realize what a beautiful, incredible place we get to call home. I'm reminded of the disproportional bigness of God. He is so much bigger than I give him credit for. And, and I'm just being real. There's so many times where I tend to, to shrink God down and I forget how big he really is. The gospel is so much bigger than you ever thought. And I think sometimes as we were kind of laying out the series and David and I and the team were praying through, we just realized, you know, sometimes we tend to shrink down the story of God. We try to, to make it more palatable, maybe even more portable, that it can travel a little bit. I remember being in Rome, right? And in Rome, there's Colosseum is there. I don't know if you've read anything about the Colosseum. It's huge. And the underground tunnels that were under the, the, the ground level floor of that and, and how things and animals and stuff would transfer and they would the gladiators and all that. And you, you're getting a tour and it's amazing. And I remember leaving the Colosseum and I saw this. And it's a little trinket of the Colosseum, and for some reason, I was like, hey, I'll take that, I'll put it on my shelf, and it'll remind me of this trip. And then I look at it occasionally on my shelf behind my desk, and I go, that is nothing like the Colosseum. And if you've been there, you realize a trinket on a shelf cannot sum up something that takes a city block and has so much history to it. The gospel, friends, is so much bigger than you ever thought. It's also way better. In fact, the story of God, it's the most monumental story ever in history. And it's the story that has changed lives for centuries. Your family history, perhaps in the back, has been changed by that story. And your story is being changed by God's story of the gospel. His coming in Jesus. That we might have life. And the stories of future generations are going to be changed because of the story. It's so much better. And yet sometimes, if we're just honest, we settle and we, we, we try to get our mind around it. We all kind of shrink it down and, and make it more palatable. And, and, and it's almost like sometimes we treat the gospel as just, just pray this prayer and then just wait around for Jesus to come back. Like, I'm on this trip where I'm just waiting for him to get here, and, and then things will take off. Anyone ever traveled with little kids before? There is a universal question that occurs, whether it's a day trip 
with your kids, whether it's like, you know, a six-hour trip down south to, to visit somewhere or a three-day road trip to Midwest, what is that universal question that is asked? Are we there yet? Now listen, come on. Sometimes. Don't we ask the same question? God, I prayed, and I want Jesus to be the leader of my life, and whoo, this world is messed up. Are we there yet? And I think sometimes we can shrink the gospel down. And friends, it is so much bigger and so much better than you ever thought. And we're invited into this story. That's the amazing part of it. David did a great job kind of setting this up of the untold story of God and the story of Jesus that is the culmination of the story of Israel and the story of Jesus coming in incarnation and that his life and his act and his death and his resurrection, his ascension, and that one day he will return. His story is so much bigger. And we are now invited into that story. And that's the gospel. That's the story that we're invited into, to be a part of the story, to see it unfold. It is so much more than just the minimum entrance requirement to heaven. It's so much bigger than that. It's so much better to that. Have you given yourself to that? Or, like me at times, have you tried to shrink it down, make it more palatable, make it more portable, make it more controlling, than really giving your whole life into that. And so that's really the premise of this whole series, is just trying to awaken us to what that could be and what that means for us to say yes to that. Now, how does that happen? Well, today I want to look at just, it really kind of starts with us identifying with everything Jesus has given us. And, and then participating in what he has invited us into, the story of the gospel that's still going down and having a ripple effect and changing people's lives. Uh, I want to recommend a book to you. Um, just finished it. Eternity Starts Now by John Ortberg. Kind of this understanding of what does it mean to understand that eternity, your life with God, as a person who has said yes to Jesus, you have life with God now on into eternity. And what does that mean to say yes to him? Not just, okay, I'm going to pray a prayer for some fire insurance because I don't want to end up in the bad place. I want to go to the good place. Listen, the gospel is way bigger than that. That's a benefit, yeah. But it's way bigger and better than just that. Don't settle for something less than what it is. And so this invitation for us that your eternity begins now and that you get to live life with God now on into eternity and you get the benefit of being with him, yes, and just remind you, if you'd missed any of the last couple of weeks, David did a great job. I want to encourage you to go back on YouTube or Vimeo and just kind of catch up on that. The gospel is the good news of Jesus, that King Jesus has invited us into a story that is so much better. The kingdom of God, now through Jesus, is available for ordinary humans to live in. That's the gospel story. The gospel is really a path for us to follow. It's a path for us to follow it because it begins to remake our very identity. It gets to, to be a new foundational identity that we get to live from, we get to live in, and it calls us into a participatory life with Jesus. Jesus said, follow me. That wasn't just for the disciples way back then. It was for his followers and his disciples now. 
And so it's this engaging journey that we get to be in. Can I just read you some words? And if you want, you can open up the app and go down to sermon notes. A lot of these notes I put in there, you can follow along from there. Just encourage you, we tried to do that these last few weeks as we gave you things to read and passages to look at. So you want to look into that. But Hebrews chapter 12 says this, Therefore, for followers of Jesus, therefore, people who have said yes to Jesus, you are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. There is a journey marked out for you to say yes to. It isn't just saying yes and waiting around, are we there yet? Or just hanging out at the airport until my connecting flight to heaven takes me home. There's a journey for you to participate in. So you are to say yes to that. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He is the pioneer, the perfecter of faith. And for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. Is following Jesus difficult? Yes. Is it fun? Yes. Is it challenging? Yes. It's all of the above. Following Jesus is not, I, I pray a prayer and, and I know I get to go to heaven when I die and therefore I'm just going to sit and wait for the connecting flight. That's boring. Don't do that. If you settle for that, you're settling for something so much less than what Jesus has actually called you into. And he models this. He says, look, I want you to follow me. You're to be a Christian. Do you know that the term Christian only finds itself three times in the Bible? Acts 11, Acts 26, 1 Peter 4. Acts 11 is when Barnabas brings Paul uh, into Antioch, and they begin to train and work with the followers, the disciples of Jesus who were there, and it says that is where they first were called Christians, which meant they were little Christ. Everywhere they went, in every conversation, every interaction, they were to represent Christ where they were. Do you know that's your job? That's what you've been enfolded into in this story is that everywhere you go and every conversation you have, every interaction that takes place, you are to represent a little Christ. You're not Jesus. Don't get this wrong. There's only one. But you're to be like him, to be saying yes more and more that you become more and more like him. You're to be a follower of Jesus. You are representing him wherever you go. You have a new identity. In our world, so much of our identity is tied to our job, to our roles that we play, whether it's as a parent or as a caregiver and whatever role that may be. So much of our identity is tied to uh, our money, to the things that we say, here's what we're about. So much of our identity is tied to so many other things, to our successes and accomplishments in life and even to our failures. Begin to identify us. But that's not your identity, friends. As someone who has said yes to Jesus, you have a new identity that's been gifted to you. See, we understand identity theft around here. I know you don't have to raise your hand if you've ever had that happen. We don't want to point you out and pinpoint you again. But if you've ever had that happen, you understand the the trauma that that causes. Because someone steals your identity, they steal your name, they steal some information about you, and they begin to pass off fraudulently that they are you. And we, we see that as a cyber crime and we realize how 
damaging and painful that is. But do you understand that as a Christian, you have been given a new identity? You've been enlisted into this new identity as a follower of Jesus. You are foundationally a Christian. You are foundationally given the identity of Christ that when God the Father sees you, he sees Jesus because of you saying yes to Jesus. The surprising reality, however, is that Christians are by definition people who have someone else's identity. They're called Christians because they're to take the identity of someone else, Christ. And not only have you been given that identity that you are not born with or that you did not earn the right to use, but you're invited to empty the checking account of that new identity because it can never get to zero. That's the identity of Christ. There is so much better than identity theft. This is an identity gift that's been given to you. First and foremost, you are a Christian. You are a follower of Jesus. And as a follower of Jesus, my foundational identity is not something that I can lose or misplace. It's been gifted to me. It's not based on my work or my job or my roles or my abilities or my money or my experiences, my accomplishments, my failures. Henry Nouwen writes about the five lies of identity. He says this, I am what I do. So many people believe this lie. I am what I do. I am what I have. I am what other people say or think of me. Or I'm nothing more than my worst moment. Or I'm nothing less than my best moment moment. And if you get caught up there, friends, that's a shaky identity. And so many people get caught there. Can I remind you that your truth of your identity as one who has said yes to Jesus is you've been given an identity from the great I am. And that is your identity. That's the foundation of where it is. It is Christ in you. It's a simple phrase. In fact, as you read through the New Testament, here's the challenge for the next decade, because it'll take you a while to find them. But over 150 different times, you'll find the phrase, in Christ. A lot of it from Paul, what he writes. Elsewhere, you'll see it in the New Testament. But in every occurrence, what Paul is trying to do, what other writers are trying to do, is help you understand your new identity in Christ. Here's what you've been gifted. Here's the checking account, if you will, of what has been gifted to you as one who has said yes to Jesus and been adopted into his family. The powerful language of adoption throughout the New Testament is an incredible picture for us. Many of you here, a few of us here, have been a part of adoption before. Adoption is your story. It's how you have your child. And we've been able to celebrate with a few families here. I remember going to one family to the adoption in the park, if you've ever seen that. It was down uh, in the center of town, and, and for her, it was her moment with her extended family, 30 people around. And for her, for the judge to say, I hereby say, this little one is now a part of this family with every privilege and every right and everything bequeathed as a part of that family. Once you were outside of that family, and now you are a part of that family to the day you die. Nothing can be taken from you. And I remember hearing this family stories and other family stories as the little kids will walk to the fridge and go, hey, can I have something from this fridge? And as a parent, you're like, yeah, you live here. But for them, it's this awakening moment to be like, wait, wait, because I'm part of your family now, 
I get to eat what's in here anytime you want. What? And the awakening of someone's spirit to that. Can you understand, friends, that you have been adopted into the family of God as one who has said yes to Jesus with all the rights and the privileges of what he says you can now have. You've been given this incredible identity gift. That's why Paul writes in Romans, the spirit you receive does not make you slave, that you have to live in fear again, that you don't have to be apprehensive or hesitant. The spirit you receive bought your adoption into sonship, into daughtership, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Abba is the word daddy. That you get to, to cry, Daddy. And this intimacy that God longs to have with you. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not because of what you do. There's lots to condemn you, lots to condemn me. But because of what Jesus did. And I now ride on his coattails. And my identity is now formed into the family of God through adoption into his family. I now stand uncondemned because of what Jesus has done. Because of who he is. I want to encourage you, Ephesians chapter 1 has an incredible passage of scripture all about your identity that you get to experience. If you just read through it this week, that you are adopted into God's family, that you have redemption, been fully forgiven from your sins, past, present, and future. That you don't have to live with condemnation over you. You've been chosen, verse 11. You are marked in him, forever sealed as you are his. You got a tattoo. You didn't even know it. God's tattoo. You've been sealed by the Spirit. That you are His. You have an eternal hope that cannot fade by any circumstance that comes at you. And you have a godly power that can empower you in your life and your living. Elsewhere in the scripture we read, okay, we're, the, we're a holy priesthood. We're a royal priesthood. That Jesus has sealed us. He calls us a friend now. All of these things, some of the best defenses against the enemy's lies is just to rehearse the truth about who God says you are. And so this, this idea, I put it in your sermon notes of, um, from Neil T. Anderson of who I am in Christ and all these verses that you can look back, some of the best ways to escape the lies that we buy into sometimes is just to rehearse the truth of who God says I am. And so I encourage you to look at that this week. That is your identity. You have been given an identity gift. And now in that identity, you get to live from that, which invites you in to be a participant in what God is up to, to partner and participate in what he's doing. If you keep reading in Ephesians chapter 2, it says it's by God's grace that you've been given this gift of salvation, not by works so that no one can boast about it. And then verse 10, it says this, we are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to sit around until we get to go to heaven. Is that what it says? No. We are God's workmanship so we can sit around nervous and worried and the world's falling apart and everything's coming unglued and I just hope God can get me out of here. The Star Trek prayer. Beam me up, right? No. You are God's handiwork so that you can do good works which God prepared in advance for you to do. The prayer is not beam me up, God. The prayer is here I am, send me. See, the invitation we've been given in the gospel is so much more than just praying a prayer and then I'm gonna wait around until Jesus comes back or he takes me home. 
You've been invited, enlisted, and folded into the story. And Jesus says, I want you to follow me. I have things I've already prepared in advance for you to do, and now I want to partner with you so that you have the joy of getting to do it. And I'm going to empower you, and I'm going to be with you. Will you say yes to that? That's the story. That's the gospel. That's what we're invited into, to be a participant in that. It's not like this idea of, I want to stick around and just kind of huddle around and, and hold up until things get better. No, I'm to be a part of the person in the story of what God is doing, the ripple effect he's having to make things better. How did Jesus teach his disciples to pray? God, hallowed be your name. You're our Father in heaven. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Some people see that prayer as an end-time prayer. God's going to eventually make it all right. You know what he is? He is going to do, make it all right. But that is an active prayer here and now. That God, more the way things operate up there need to be more and more the reality of how things operate down here. And who's going to do that? Well, God's going to do that, and he's enlisted and invited you and me to be a part of that. That more of the up there kind of life becomes more of a down here kind of reality in your family. That more of an up here kind of life becomes more of a down here reality at your workplace and in your relationships and the conversations that you have and the interactions that you have with people. It's not just, uh, it's not just a later thing, and it's, it's a now and later thing. And it's this invitation that we get to have more of heaven that we get to experience, but also to get more of heaven into us and through us to bring blessing to others. It's an active, ongoing, engaging journey, practicing more and more of what Jesus said and obeying what he did, that we begin to do more and more what he did. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Listen, you are not in charge. Jesus is in charge. But you are not idle either. It's not a folding of the hands and just waiting around. It's a listening. Jesus, what would you have me do? You've got good works already prepared. What would you have me step into? And as the body of Christ, we each have a different role in that. That your role and the person next to you and your neighbor next to you and the person behind you in a row may have different roles of how things and different assignments of what that begins to look like, and that's okay. That's how the kingdom advances in all kinds of ways, right? It's what Jesus and I've got good works prepared in advance for you to do. I just want you to say yes to it. Give up more of the up there kind of life and to get that down here. Every time you bring a slice of the up there kind of life down here, the kingdom of God breaks in and all the messed up little kingdoms of this world begin to, begin to have impact a little bit different. Every time you and I are in a conflict with someone, when you want to hurt them or gossip about them or avoid them, but instead you go to them and you seek reconciliation and forgiveness, every time that happens, the kingdom of God breaks in a little bit more. Every time you have a chunk of money and you decide to give sacrificially to someone who is hungry or homeless or in need, or every time you invest into the church as the vehicle of God in our here and now, the kingdom of God breaks in a little bit more. Every time a workaholic parent decides to stop idolizing their job and rearrange their priorities to invest in the ones they've been entrusted to, the kingdom of God begins to break and every time we step and push back injustice that marginalizes others or stand up against racism that steps and separates others, every single time, the kingdom of God is beginning to break in a little bit more.
the gospel is God's power has become available to ordinary people like you and like me. And we've been invited into this God life. It's a story that's happening now. We're often attracted to a gospel that comforts us. We tend to shrink back from a gospel that confronts us, that challenges us, dares us to push back against the status quo or to step into transformation that may be difficult or sacrificial. But the reality is the Jesus gospel His story both comforts us and confronts us. It comforts us that we know we have an identity that is not something we tried to create or we tried to stir up. It was something that was gifted to us. And we get to live fully embraced in that adoption identity. And it confronts us to say the way things are need to be different. Inside of you at times, as he chips away at things, to say, look, I want you to be more and more like Jesus, which means we're gonna chip away a little bit more and more of this because it's keeping you from shining. It's keeping you from being who I've created you to be. And it pushes back and confronts some of the things in our culture that say this is the way it's supposed to be when Jesus says, no, 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 that's not the way it's supposed to be. There's something better. And so it, it confronts us to step in the gap and to step forward and to stand up and to say, God, I want to be a part of that. So here's the question for tonight. Simple. Every benefit of the gospel comes with responsibility. We have been made holy because of Jesus and what he has done. It is a benefit and an honor. May it never fade for you. May it never lose its splendor and the wonder of what you've been gifted. We are called to be saints, which means it carries a responsibility and a privilege to represent Jesus as a Christian, a little Christ, in our here and now. So the two questions simply as we close is this. Is your life participating in what God is up to? And how can you grow in that this year? Is your life actually participating in what God is up to, that the story of the gospel that's still unfolding, still having a ripple effect across history, are you allowing your story to be unfolded into his grander story because it's so much bigger and better than what you thought it was? And how can you say yes to more and more of that? And is your life anchored and rooted to your identity in Christ? Or has it been hijacked? A theft has taken place, and you've settled to make your identity about your job or about what your bank account says or about what your friends say or about your greatest accomplishment or your worst failure. And if you settled for that, friends, that's not the identity Jesus gave you. He gave you something that's so much bigger and better than you thought it was. And so how can you become rooted more and more in that And so, Jesus, we thank you that your gospel story is a story that was before time. It has been in every moment of time since. It's the story of redemption that you said, I will make a way. And Jesus, you came and you lived and you taught and you healed and you gave your life as a sacrifice that we might find life as we lay ours down 
and accept the gift of what you provided. You were resurrected with an amazing infusion of God power. And now you bequeath us the opportunity to live empowered by you as you sent your spirit. And one day you will return. And in the meantime, we don't ask, are we there yet? We don't try to pray that you would beam us up, that we would pray wholeheartedly every day, God, here I am, send me. And then when we walk out of our house, out of our apartment, out of the place we call home, we are on a mission with you. We've been invited to live with this identity of marked. We are a Christ follower. We are saved. We are redeemed. We are a friend of God. We are fully accepted. Your attention is upon us every single moment of the day. There isn't ever a moment that you're not dialed into us. We may feel that you're distant, but you're as close as our shadow. So Father, would you help us to live with that identity? So much of our world speaks identity at us and into us that says this is what you cling to. Would you help us to cling to who you say we are? And as we live in rest with that, rest with you, that we would be released then to follow you into the assignments and the mission and the opportunities that you have handcrafted for each one of us. So Father, as we spend a moment here to remember Jesus in communion, to to take this bread that represents his body and to drink this juice that represents his blood, the sacrifice of his body and his blood for the forgiveness of our sins that we can now have life with you through faith in Jesus. We want to re-anchor ourselves. We want to pray and ask that you would send us where you want us to go and send us into the opportunities you have for us. All the while, resting in this identity that you've given us, this identity gift that when you see us, you see Jesus. This is my son, this is my daughter in whom I am well pleased. Wow. God, thank you for that. We don't deserve it. We didn't earn that. We were given that. And you have so much more to give us. Would you speak in these moments, in this song, as we close? God, would you ignite our heart to want to say yes to this bigger and better story? More and more and more and more 